Joseph dreamed The coat of many colors Was stained with blood and lies But from this divine appointment A ruler would arise When God has another plan Walk on and just say yes When God has another plan Be assured that He knows best When all your dreams are shattered Rest in His sufficient grace We don't have to understand When God has another plan Questions fill your mind Cause changes can be hard That come by God's design But if you could see tomorrow With a view from heaven's throne Every unexpected struggle Has led you closer home another plan be assured that he knows best when all your dreams are shattered rest in his sufficient grace we don't have to understand no no we don't have to Wow, wasn't that great? Isn't that a comforting thought, though? We don't have to understand. We don't have to understand. We don't have to understand it. God has another plan. We're going to take a look at that. It's amazing. It is absolutely amazing how the Lord works. You know, from the breaking of bread to even the uh, memory verse. This week, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. That's our memory verse. An attitude of thanksgiving. And we're going to talk about attitude today. You know, and I was thinking about, the, um, you know, what, what am I going to share? What, Lord, what do you want me to have me to share? So, Adel told me a number of weeks ago uh, that I have this Sunday. And I said, well, praise God. And I've always wanted to talk about Nicodemus. So my heart was zeroed in on John chapter 3 until last week. <laughs> and Adel calls up. You mind if I share Adel? He calls me up. 
Sunday afternoon. I didn't tell Bill. I didn't tell him. Because <laughs> I would share. I, I, you know, I talked to Adel. Hey, what do you think about this topic or that topic? And, you know, get his blessing and then zero right in on He goes, I didn't tell Bill. But that's all right. Because the Bible's big. It's huge. It's not just Nicodemus. There's other... Endless. Endless. So we're going to talk about another, another situation in the Bible today. The Lord placed on my heart. But before, first, we need to ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. I need prayer on this. And I'm not ashamed to say that. I need prayer. And I think we all could say that too. We should. It's beneficial beyond our understanding. We need prayer. We're going to talk about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're very grateful today for this day you have given to us. You've orchestrated it and you've provided it. And Lord, you have placed us in this place for a purpose. And Lord, we pray that you speak through my mouth, through my heart, that it is your message that goes out today. Lord, we just pray for attention. We pray for uh, your blessing upon our time together. Lord, we're very grateful on why we gather and why we are here. How you came down to this world and you saved our souls. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon our time as we open up your word. Speak to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The title of today's message is The Priority of God's Salvation. The Priority of God's Salvation. Because we need to prioritize things in life. Time is short. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But time is short. So we need to, we need to manage our time. What is a priority in our lives? The priority of God's salvation. You know, I was thinking about, you know, men of great accomplishments. You know, we think of, we, we could think of numerous men, numerous people who've, who've had great accomplishments. And I think one of them is, is, is the great Benjamin Franklin. You know, you think about Benjamin Franklin, he was a man of great accomplishments. We're here able to see because of great Benjamin Franklin flew a kite one day and tied a key on it. So he, he didn't invent electricity, he discovered it. But he was a man of, of I'm not going to go through the whole list. If you want to do that, just Google him. You know, he's right at our fingertips. But think about it. He was a man of science. He was an inventor. He invented bifocals, which I'm wearing right now, bifocals. But he also was one of our uh, founding fathers. He, he orchestrated the first police department, the first fire department, the first hospital, postal service, and the building code, which I, I deal with every day. The guy was a busy man. And he was also a, 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 a politician. 
And believe it or not, it says here in the book here, he, he introduced prayer to Congress. So he's done great things. But did he know the Lord? Did he accept the Lord into his life? And we're going to find that he fell a little short. Even though a grant of made great accomplishments, the number one priority in a person's life, he fell short. I was reading a, a devotion by uh, Charles Spurgeon, and he asked a quick question. If you were able to teach one thing to your child, what would it be? If you can only teach him one thing, what would it be? What would it be? What do you think? What would it be? To work hard, to tell the truth, you know, to be a good person, you know, the list is endless. But one thing, the grace and mercy of God our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Everything else is irrelevant. Compared to that, everything else is pointless. If we don't have the Savior in our life, all the accomplishments that we may have fall short. They fall short. You know, there was a great British preacher, George Whitefield, who wrote a letter to Benjamin Franklin, and he says, I find that you grow more and more famous in the learned world, Whitefield wrote, as you have made such progress in, in investigating the mysteries of electricity. I now humbly urge you to give diligent heed to the mystery of the new birth. It is, a most, import, it is most important to a person's life. It is the most important thing in a person's life. Scientists have discovered, you know, we're getting, we're, the average lifespan is getting older and older and older. And I read that the scientists have discovered that an average lifespan for a newborn baby will exceed 100 years old if it is born within the next 10 years. Because of all the medical accomplishments, um, you know, a number of things will play into this, uh, to this fact or to the statement here. So if that's true, you're going to live 100 years old. I did some simple math. Thanks for the calculator. If this is true, that's 36,500 days. Okay? That's a lot. 876,000 hours, 52,560,000 minutes, or 3,153,600,000 seconds. That's a lot, isn't it? It's tick, 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 tick. It goes by. I'm over halfway there. I just turned 52. So that, take all that and cut it in half. But like I said, time is precious. We only have so much. So what is the priority in our lives? I'd like to turn to Acts chapter 16, verse 16 for our main topic. And we're going to talk about what is known to as the Philippian jailer. 
There's a story about Paul and Silas. And they come across this woman in verse 16. And it says, It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. We still see that all over town, don't we? Fortune-tellers are everywhere. So this is nothing new. Verse 17, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Wow, that's a pretty good statement, isn't it? That's a pretty accurate statement. But look where it's coming from, who it's coming from. A person who does fortune telling. And we've got to be careful of that. That's a tactic of the devil. To make it look like sin is okay. Paul had to act. He acted. In verse 18, she continued doing, so, do, she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at the very moment. He had to do something. Even though she was stating a fact, who she was, it was say, it, they were like alienating with each other, an ally. And that wasn't the case. The devil was using God's word to trip people up. He was giving them the delusion putting doubt. In verse 19, when her master saw that there were hope, that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. So she was making money for people by fortune telling. How often does money get in the way of ministry? You know, how often? There's records of it in the Bible. And Paul took the money from these masters. And in verse 20, it said, And when, he had, and, and when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. So he's, he's, they're developing claims against Paul and Silas. They're saying what they're saying is causing chaos amongst the people. And in verse 21 it says, And they are proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. Talk about having a bad day. You know, they come in and they basically save this person's life, this girl's life, and they're beaten for it. Sometimes things don't go the way we think they should, do they? Sometimes God has another plan. But this is radical. They were beaten for it. 
In verse 23, when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison. Well, it just keeps getting worse. Commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And in verse 24, it says, And he, being the jailer, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. You know, the prison back in those days wasn't the plush, comfortable prisons that we have today. They were nasty. They were nasty. They were beat up, falsely accused, thrown into prison, and their feet were tied up in stocks. They're having a real bad day. But look where their attitude goes. You know, the verse that we studied in Colossians chapter 4 talks about an attitude of thanksgiving. Where's our attitude when things seem a, little, seem a lot difficult? Verse 25, the whole thing starts to change. God starts to interact in this situation immensely. First, he starts in the heart's of Paul and Silas. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to praise, of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. What an interesting time to have a gospel concert. Really. Midnight, it's dark, they're beaten, in prison, falsely accused, their career could be over as evangelists. Their career could be over for spreading God's word right then and there. But they didn't look at that. They didn't look at, oh well, where are we? Oh my, my situation looks terrible. Life can be difficult, can't it? It could challenge us. Health, Finance, people, our job, the list can go on and on. What is it that can tear us away and distract us from God? But he sung, they sung praises. You know, we sing a lot of hymns here, don't we, at this church? We praise God for them. We praise God for the people who, who wrote those hymns, how they were touched by God. They put it to paper, and they put a hymn on it, music, and we could take it with us and sing it in our hearts. And I remember years ago, there was a baseball pitcher. He's, well, he's still alive, but Oral Hershiser, Dean and I have talked about this gentleman. He pitched for the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is all right. Giants got to beat somebody. But he pitched for the Dodgers, and he was in the World Series, and he was a great pitcher. He was a good pitcher. He holds the records for the consecutive inning, scoreless innings. But he was in the World Series, and he wasn't doing all that great. 
And it's often said that the loneliest place in sports is a pitcher's mound during the World Series when it's not going good. And he was interviewed by Johnny Carson years ago. And I remember it to this day. Johnny asked him, what were you thinking? And Oral Hershiser, I mean, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. He said, I was singing hymns. I was singing hymns. And praising God. Look at that. Look what we can take. These hymns aren't just for entertainment. They're not for entertainment. They're to sing praises to our Savior. And keep them on our hearts. How often do we sing in the car? I do. They come to, they come to you just like that. And it's amazing. They just come to you and you sing aloud and you're very thankful. We need him. He put a new song in our hearts. But you know what? Look at the dark place. It was midnight. They're beaten. Falsely accused. Not the, thing, not the time you would think for song, praises and hymns, would you? It's dark. Well, you know what? God could touch us in those dark places in our lives. He does. We just need to be attentive to Him. You know, there's a verse I'd like to share. Uh, Psalm 42, verse 8. says, The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and His song will, will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. What an amazing thing that in spite of our circumstances, we can praise God. That that's, goes totally against the thinking of this world, doesn't it? Revenge. Action. Take charge. Look out for number one. You know, again, there's an endless list of that. Fight, fight, fight. But God says, the battle's mine. Your life's mine. Yeah, I'm going to jump ahead on my verses there, and I'm going to go to um, Second Chronicles. I was. This has been a very good uh, story about Zephaniah, uh, Jehoshaphat, and in Second Chronicles chapter twenty. Jehoshaphat was uh, king of Judah at this time. And in verse 1 it says, Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together and with some of the Meunites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Okay, there's a setup. Verse 2 says, Then, the sun came and report, then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea. Out of Aram, and behold, they are Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. Isn't that the place where we should go? When we're afraid? Maybe we don't understand, but God understands. 
He turned his attention to the Lord. And in verse 12, he says, O our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before the great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. They're at a loss. He's at a loss. I have no idea what to do. Have we been there? I have. I have no idea what to do. But our eyes are on you. Verse 15 says, And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of the great multitude. For that battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17, you need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves, stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Wow. We can do that. We can do that. We don't need to fight the battle. God fights it for us. Let's go over to verse... uh, 20. Get a little result of what happened when they allowed the Lord to fight their battle. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in the prophets and succeed. Verse 21, when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. Again, singing to the Lord. As they went out before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they had began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so they were routed. They didn't have to do a thing. God took care of it. They basically fought themselves and destroyed each other. They didn't have to do a thing. So let's get back to Paul and... and Verse 26, and suddenly there came a great earthquake. And suddenly there came an earthquake. Right after Paul and Silas are singing hymns and praising God. God's taking action. So that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Wow, what a miracle! What an absolute miracle! But look at the attitudes of the people in this account here. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Well, why would he kill himself? Well, back in the day, if those prisoners had escaped, 
that jailer would have taken that penalty. But he didn't want to be publicly humiliated and killed, so he just decided to take it upon himself. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, wait, 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 wait. Don't harm yourself, for we're all here. Well, that's odd, isn't it? The prison doors are open, the shackles are off, there's a big earthquake, there's confusion everywhere, and the prisoners didn't escape. They didn't escape. I would have been out of there. But that's me. Or maybe after reading this story, maybe I would have stuck around. Maybe leaving would have taken it out of God's hands. Maybe leaving would have been detrimental to what God was trying to do, acting upon ourselves, acting for what I think is right. Sometimes we get in God's way by doing what we think is right. And he called out for lights, he being the, the prison guard, and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Look how the tables have turned. The jailer is now falling down at the feet of Paul and Silas. Look at the power of testimony. Look at the power of not wavering in your faith. Look at the power of prayer. Look at the power of praise. It affected this jailer for the rest of his life into eternity. It affected him. Do we have that effect? Can we say, I can have that effect? Paul did. And I love what Paul did. Confident Christian man. I'm going to jump ahead. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. I always get chills when I read that about Paul. He's saying, follow my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. That's a bold statement. He's saying, look at me. Wow. When we hear that sometimes, it's just like, oh my. It's full of himself. Don't we? But there's credibility in this statement with the Apostle Paul, isn't there? He's got a track record. He's been through it. He's done it. He just got beaten, thrown in jail, opportunity to escape, and he stayed. It's not, he's not normal in the world, so to speaking, so to speak. The world thinks that that is odd. But doing the things of Christ are not the things, are not the things of this world. They seem different. But standing firm is where Paul was. He was standing firm. In verse 30, after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That was the question Paul was waiting to hear. What must I do to be saved? This is the jailer asking this. 
going from guarding them, first of all, he threw them in jail, shackled their feet, and now the tables have turned. He's falling at their feet. The jailer. What must I do to be saved? That's a question we as believers need to be ready to answer. Because there may come a time in your life when someone may ask you that. What must I do to be saved? Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. Tell them about Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. The word there is must. There's no option. Must. You know, my dealings with the building code, there's words like shall and must. Those are words that have to be. There's no gray area in must. I said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's not by association the household is all of a sudden saved. The Bible's clear on that. It's a personal decision. But this jailer is going to go home a changed man, isn't he? He's going to say, hello, honey, I'm home. Guess what happened? Guess what happened? You will never believe it. I am changed. I'm different. And people are going to say, yeah, right. But he was. He was. So that impact that he's going to have in his family is going to give his household the opportunity to see Christ in his life. Because if he didn't accept the Lord, his household would just go on status quo, just like normal. But the man was changed, and he went home, a changed man. And verse 32 says, And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. So Paul and Silas are saying, Hey, this is the Lord. This is who he is. And in verse 33, it says, He took them that very hour at the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized. <clears throat> he and all his household. He goes from throwing them into jail to washing their wounds. What a radical change in a man's life. And then he brought them food. In verse 34, he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God and his whole, whole household. This man was changed. You could tell by the fruit of his behavior. You can tell. You can tell. You could see a change in this jailer's heart. He saw God, he accepted him and said, what must I do to be saved? And he got saved. How can you tell? 
took them home. The prisoners, the ones he just threw in jail, who were beaten up, who were accused. He's going to get into trouble for that, isn't he? But it's almost, it almost doesn't quite end here. Paul's still going to make an impact. He went for the individual and the jailer, but he also wants to speak to the masses. And he wants to speak to groups of people. So he's not done yet with the magistrates, with the people who threw him in there, who made the decision to throw him in jail. He's not, not quite done yet. It says in verse 35, Now when the day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore come out now and go in peace. Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without any trial. Men who are Romans, they have thrown us into prison, and now they're sending us away in secret? No! You're not getting off that easy. But let them come themselves and bring us out. Don't send the policemen to do your dirty work. Come. Come on. You do it. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid. They should be. When they heard that they were Romans, they should be. And they came out and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. So they came out and said, all right, you guys got to go. Leave. Just leave. You're too much of a headache. But God's plan is different, isn't it? It was different in Joseph's life. If anyone was able to be angry, it was Joseph with all that he went through. But he kept his eye on the Savior. He looked to the Lord. As Paul and Silas did. In spite of this horrific, horrific day that they're having, they didn't waver in their faith. They didn't waver in their trust. They didn't waver in their dependence. They did not flinch away from God. They didn't look over their shoulder and say, hey God, where are you at on this? They had bigger plans. Sometimes in our lives, God has a bigger plan. He's setting us up. He's building us up to that bigger plan. We need to be, keep our eye on Him. Devote ourselves to Him. Every moment of our lives. We have work. We have family. We've got responsibilities. We have things to do. But bring them along. Keep them with you. In spite of what goes on in our lives, God is there with us. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. He did more than just save our souls and die on the cross. He did so much more. 
His love is amazing. He wants to get through to us. He wants to interact with us. He wants a relationship with us. Every day, every moment, every breath we take, He wants us together. Do we walk out of the house sometimes and leave Him behind? I got so many things to do. I got to go here, got to go here, got to go here. And we leave Him behind. But God wants to be with us. You know, Benjamin Franklin had great accomplishments. And there's a lot of people in this world did have great accomplishments. Some of them are solid. I mean, we're, we're, the, we're benefactors of Benjamin Franklin and his work. But he lost track of the priority in life. Because he didn't know the Lord. The readings of one of his book, at the end of his life, he was a man of great accomplishments. He knew of Jesus Christ, but he questioned him. He thought he was a great moral teacher, but that's where he left it. Benjamin Franklin's intellect got in the way of Benjamin Franklin's faith. And that can happen. But we try to figure him out, understand God. But we don't need to. God will take care of us. Time is coming to a close. So let us stay track. Let's stay focused on the Lord. If you don't know Him, Maybe I'm unsure. Maybe my life with the Lord is a little distant right now. He's calling to you. He's calling to you. I'm here. I'm waiting. And we may be saved, but maybe we're not utilizing God for who He is. Maybe we pray at dinner time and night time, and, and that's about it. But God's more than that. He will live with us in our hearts and affect our lives that we can affect others like Paul and Silas who affected the jailer, who affected the household, who just kept going on and on and on. I'm a product of the domino effect myself. My brother was saved walking and I saw his life. It was different. It was good. And I saw it as I want that. Let us have an impact for the Lord. He deserves it. He deserves our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're very grateful today. We're thankful for this account of Paul and Silas and this jailer, this jailer whose life was changed from an encounter with godly people. And Lord, we're thankful for this, this story, this testimony. And Lord, we pray as we go out into this world, we know we're going to hit rocky roads. We're going to hit difficulties and challenges. But as we do, may we always keep our eyes upon you. Never take our eyes off of you, Lord. Lord, we're very grateful for speaking to us today. Thankful for your word. Thankful for the relationship we have with you. We're thankful for sending your son to pay the penalty of our sin so we can have that relationship with you. Lord, as we go out into this world, may we just reflect your love, your kindness, your grace, and your mercy to the people you place in our lives. 
And Lord, may we be ready to answer that question. What must I do to be saved? Lord, now we thank you. We ask your blessing upon our day. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen.